An interesting article came out, I believe, yesterday. It was written by uh, Mr. Greenberg, who was the guy in charge of polls for Bill Clinton when he first won in 92. And I think he's just generally like a Democratic strategist ever since. And I think the article came out five days before this midterm election. And he was saying that he didn't want to publish the information previously because it could have hurt the Democrats in the um, in the election. But he also wanted to get himself on record as a good prognosticator of, you know, politics. And so he did some polling or some focus groups about crime to try and figure out what was the best message, you know, a Democrat could use to make you want to vote for them if, you know, you cared about crime at all. And I don't know all the questions that he ran by the people, but basically none of them, no, you know, there was no message. There was no message that made people want to vote for a Democrat more if they heard that message from the Democrat. And so there were things that voters wanted to hear. I don't know what they are, you know, maybe like we're going to hire more cops, or we're going to make the streets safer. But when they were coming out of a Democratic politician's mouth, the people didn't believe them, and it made them dislike the politician more. And so basically, the best thing that Democrats can say about crime this cycle is keep your mouth shut, say absolutely nothing. And so, like, Oregon hasn't had a Republican governor for 40 years, but we might get one this time, and it's going to be, you know, homelessness and crime. Some people want to say those things aren't related. In my opinion, they are directly related. I mean, they're directly related everywhere, but they're especially correlated in Oregon and especially Portland. Like, I have a buddy, he's a car mechanic in Portland, and him and his partner at the same shop, um... Like, they go and repo cars now as kind of a side gig. Well, not repo cars. Get back stolen cars. And my buddy kind of led a, a lawless life. I mean, he led a very lawless life. I mean, he doesn't have a criminal record, but he was always, always being a bad boy. But now he's actually on good terms with a bunch of cops because he's basically doing their job for them. And, you know, the Portland cops, they either can't or just don't do anything about like stolen cars but if you go find the stolen car itself and possibly grab the thief and hold him there they will show up for that situation i mean in the old days i would say that they would stop eating donuts and go do it but i think they actually are busy now i can't remember how my buddy got hurt but um he was it was he was going after a motorcycle thief oh that's right so a motorcycle thief stole a motorcycle, but I guess they couldn't get it to run, didn't have the key or something, and so they put it in a U-Haul, I believe, which is probably also stolen, and they took it to my buddy's shop, and they could see it was a homeless guy, you know, with a brand new fancy motorcycle in a U-Haul truck, and they're like, this is stolen, and so they kind of were like, okay, we got to look at this, we got to look at that, while they called the cops, trying to get the cops to go get there, and I think... Whatever. In that situation, the cops were slow and did not get there in time. And I think my buddy, he got hurt. I forget. Something, something happened to his leg. I forget what. His leg got hurt uh, when he didn't let the thief take off with the motorcycle in the U-Haul. But the thief did take off. 
And then they figured out the thief's girlfriend was a homeless woman who lived in a tent, but the tent was always in the same place. You know, it's almost like a house in Portland. And I think they were staking out the tent because the guy goes there a lot, and I don't know if they ever caught him or not. I think I haven't talked to him since right there. The end of that story, I haven't talked to him since. And sometimes they would just get the car back and take it to the person who lost it, and that person would give them some money, I and mean, that's, that's why they do it. I don't think there's no official... Like, I don't think car insurance pays people to bring back stolen cars, so I guess you're just hoping someone will be nice. And I think it's a, you know, it's a thrill. It's like, uh, it's like skydiving. It's fun. It's dangerous. I, I mentioned this before, but they have um, a shotgun full of rock salt that my buddy makes. He makes them up. Basically, he takes shotgun shells, takes out all the lead, puts in a bunch of salt, repacks it, and they have repeatedly shot thieves coming to steal catalytic converters at their um, auto shop. And then, I don't know, you can look it up. Uh, anyway, it made national news. It made national news. The news like went there to interview them because they have a bunch of cameras, so they got a lot of it on video, and it was, it was pretty cool stuff. And I think, I think they've shot a lot of other people with rock salt that didn't make the national news. So I guess for you, dear listener, you can just take that sto- those stories I just told you, and you can ask yourself, you know, if, that, if your car got stolen or something bad happened to you, some crime happened, um, would you report it to the police? And I think the answer is sometimes you would, sometimes you wouldn't. Sometimes you just wouldn't bother. So if you're a Democrat politician, on the subject of crime, you just stay silent. But obviously that doesn't always work. And I think the most famous example going on is the New York governor race. So there was a d- debate... And the Republican guy, you know, he's hammering it every, you know, every time it's his chance to speak, he's bringing up crime. That's his only way of winning in a super blue state of New York. And they got the cashless bail thing there, which is basically you catch a criminal and then they're back on the street the same day. And then, you know, there's always these horror stories of they go out and commit commit a murder right away and stuff. Anyways, that works in his favor. So the whole thing he's talking about, need to lock him up. And then eventually the the Democrat lady governor said something like, why are you so worried about crime? I mean, she was exasperated. So as you can imagine, that instantly became, you know, a TV ad against her with that quote, probably juxtaposed with someone getting pushed onto the subway tracks. And uh, Hochul is her name, uh, Governor of New York, Democrat Hochul, um, she did an interview on MSNBC, and, I mean, you know, that, that's a friendly spot for her to, you know, it's just a campaign ad, basically. And she's like, you know, they're election deniers, and you know, what, you know when it comes to crime, they're data deniers. And so I just learned of a new podcast that I think I recommend called Not Even Mad. Go subscribe if you want. It's got Mike Pesca, super famous podcaster and he was on NPR for many years but he's Anna he's woke but he's not always woke but it's him and a couple you know it's him and a woke lady and a right-wing guy and then they talk about stuff and so that lady was the woke lady um she's like crime is down in New York City and I forget the stats but it's kind of like you know if you got your you got your murder your rape your aggravated assault and your robbery i think that was the top four 
It's like each of each of those things was maybe like up five percent or down five percent. I think two of them were up about five percent, and two of them were down about five percent. Basically, they're all holding even, but some of them were down a little bit. And I think maybe murder was one of the ones that was down, and so I think it was murder and rape. I mean, thank God, those are two bad things. Um, but it's like, yeah, what what are you what are you complaining about so much? You know, murder's down this year. Well, they don't say that. I let the cat out of the bag. I gave it away. They don't say murder is down this year because then you're like, oh, <laughs> tell me more. They just say murder is down. You know, why are you so worried about crime? Murder is down. And I think I've done I've done an entire podcast on why murder shooting through the roof. It was not caused by the pandemic. It was caused by Black Lives Matter. So if you supported that on Facebook, you got a little blood on your hands. But regardless, it it all shot up in 2020, and then it went up even it went up some more in 2021. I think for New York City in particular, it went up 30% in 2020, and then another 5% in 2021. So basically, it's at a super high level. Like New York used to have maybe 300 murders a year in like 2018, and then since Black Lives Matter, it has about 450. So. Or maybe 420. But anyways, my point is, because because crime shot through the roof so freaking hard in 2020 and stayed so freaking high in 2021 that now they're like, why are you worried about crime? It's it got it's lower. It's lower. You know, they don't say not lower. They don't say it's lower than last year or lower than ever. They're just like it's lower now. What you know? What kind of conspiracy theory? Uh, insurrection thinking have you got going on there you racist and then the new york times did a did some polling on threats to democracy and i forget the numbers on democrats and republicans but basically democrats think that republicans are a threat to democracy republicans think that democrats are a threat to democracy or something anyways both sides hate each other and they both think that democracy is threatened you know it's not just democrats you might you might if you listen to the media you might think that only democrats are worried about threats to democracy because republicans are the threat to democracy so therefore the republicans would not be worrying about threats because i don't know i guess if you're a murderer like you know are murderers worried about murder i don't know and so you know what's your tiebreaker i mean there is no perfect tiebreaker but then you go ask the independent voters well, registered independent. And you know, there's only it's a two-party system. So if you're registered independent, you're still someone who either votes Democrat pretty much all the time or someone who votes Republican pretty much all the time. But you are more likely to be a swing voter, maybe you don't care, maybe don't follow stuff. And I think amongst independent voters, 23% of them think that the Republicans are a threat to democracy, and then 31% of them think that Democrats are a threat to democracy. So, anyways, it's pretty universal that if you, you know, if Joe Biden gives a speech, he's like, we got to worry about threats to democracy. Everyone who hears that is going to translate it there into their brain something different. Like, you know, he, he thinks he, he thinks he's only talking about Republican threats, but in fact, every voter just takes that in and says, yeah, you're right. That other side is a threat. And, you know, Democrats were going hard on abortion 
I think here at the and, I, and that hasn't been working. And so I think here at the very end, they're going extra hard on threats to the democracy. And you know, we'll see if that works. I mean, sometimes you just want to get get out your base. I guess. Yeah, let's talk about that. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's something like 85% of Republicans are very excited to vote this year, and then 75% of Democrats are very excited to vote this year. And I think, like in most polls, you know, that Democrats are usually up by a point or two over the Republicans in most polls, but people still are, you know, Democrats are still sweating balls because whatever, because the Republicans are excited, which, you know, there's a difference between who do you, who would you wish would be the next person versus actually going out and voting for that person to be the next, next whatever. And Democrats are 75, like I said, so it's 85 to 75, but then I believe African Americans are about 65% excited to go vote. So that's not good. They, Democrats need African Americans. They need every last one of them to get out and vote. And I haven't heard on Latinos. And then the most interesting number kind of was 65% of Americans think that the mainstream media is a threat to democracy. And for me, you know, my opinion, there kind of is no threat to democracy. I mean, it depends what you mean. I mean, as far as like the voting being done correctly, I believe in that, no problem. I mean, if something comes down to a couple hundred votes or whatever, then... Who knows? Really, they should just be redoing those things, but I guess basically this. I don't think that anyone is able to illegally change more than maybe a couple hundred votes. So unless it's unless the thing is so close to a couple hundred votes, then it doesn't matter. So basically, there is no threat to democracy because even like a House of Representatives um, thing has like 700,000 voters. So a couple hundred is not going to change the result. So that's kind of... Trump's version of a threat to democracy, which is hogwash. I couldn't decide, is it horseshit or is it hogwash? I guess I decided to go easy on him and call it hogwash. But I think the media being a threat to democracy, I mean, it depends on how you look at it, but I, I you know, I talk about it a lot and it's kind of true. And so I've been trying to come up with an analogy and I can't do it, but I guess I'm just going to force myself now. I guess it's kind of like Plato's story of the cave. I think it was Plato. There's this famous Greek story about some people who live in a cave and they never leave. You know, when they're born, they're born in the cave. And when they die, they die in the cave and they never leave this cave. And in this cave is a fire, like a campfire. And it puts shadows, moving shadows on the wall. And so the people who live in the cave, they've never known anything other than being in a cave, looking at these moving shadows on the wall, and so they think that's reality. And I'm not even sure if Plato is a real person. But anyways, basically you can kind of see, it's kind of a metaphor for television. You know, that was made up over 2,000 years ago. So is an election free and fair if, you know, all the TV is lying to you, if all the social media is lying to you, you know, if, if every if every single thing, I guess, other than real people that you talk to in real life is lying to you and giving you false information about politics in particular, um, is that a free and fair election? And so the thought experiment I've been trying to come up with is like, what if all the media and the social media, just every information source told you that, 
you know, in the next, you know, in the 2020 presidential, you know, before the election, like in the upcoming presidential election, it's Joe Biden versus Bartholomew Higginbottom. And they're like, Higginbottom is a Nazi. And he held his daughter in a basement for 20 years and raped her every day. And they have four kids together and he kept those kids in the basement. I mean, just think of whatever the most worst thing you could ever accuse someone of. That was my random example. But so, you go to the vote, you get to the voting booth, you look at your piece of paper or your computer screen, and it says, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And you're like, Donald Trump? I never even heard of that person. And so it's like, would that be a free and fair election? You know, you have to decide in the voting booth, is one person that you've heard of the one you want to vote for, or... This other person that you never even heard of. You know, you don't know anything about. And so that's why I haven't uh, said this analogy. I swear to God, I've been thinking about this thing for months or longer. Well, months. And, you know, I mean, Donald Trump, he's a celebrity. So you would have heard of him. You get to the ballot box and be like, oh, Donald Trump. I don't know a thing about him, but I know he was on TV. And so you might vote for him for that reason. He's not Joe Biden, you might say. But to sum up, even though that's a bad analogy, the question is, how much of the media and social media and blah, blah, how much can they feed you misinformation in support of, in this case, the Democratic Party, but it could easily be the other way, how much can they do that and you still have a free and fair election? And I would say the answer is, our elections are still free and fair, but we're, we're, we are pretty damn close to having too much of that stuff. I don't know. The American voter is smarter than you think. In 2020, we were like, we need to get rid of Donald Trump. And I, you know, that's how I voted. And we did get rid of Donald Trump. And then all the Democrats are like, oh my God, they love us. They love us and they love everything we've been saying. They love that we talk about how America's racist. They love how we talk about capitalism being inherently evil. They love how we let all the criminals out of prison and they can just go home and be flower children. And so if in a few days America chooses the Republicans, they'd be like, nah, we don't love all that crap. We just wanted to get rid of Trump. Politics and crime, again, on the Anti-Woke Podcast. Twitter handle at Anti-Work Podcast, and thanks for listening.